stand with me in honor of the Lord's word. Today we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 7 through 13. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there with me. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us, for the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision in behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. Again, he says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Reliance. It is indeed a delight to sing with you, a delight to pray with you. Um, I think we're, we're transitioning now almost. We're right on the edge of it. Um, and before I get into my specific words, I just want to say thanks. Um, it has been a delight to walk with you through Romans. You guys have been so attentive along the way, encouraging. Um, when we first moved here to Tri-Cities, I thought about preaching on Romans early on. And I remember studying all the way through the week on a particular passage, only by Thursday to scrap it and go a whole new direction because I came to this realization I'm not ready to preach Romans. It's, it is a masterpiece, to say the least, of Paul's. And one of the reasons over the last 16 months I chose to study the book of Romans or to walk through the book of Romans with you at this time was I felt that as a church, we were at a point in history, in our young history as a church, where I hoped that we as a people would be convinced of the hope that we have in Christ. That the gospel is that which shapes the very fabric of our lives. And so for those reasons, it's been 16 months now. We've taken a couple breaks in throughout that period of time, but our hope was, uh, my hope is that we would be a people that would think in light of the gospel how it applies to us as an individual, as a people, and the world around us. But here's the reality about the gospel. It changes your worldview. No, rather, it, it establishes your worldview. Even the way that you think about the world around you changes in light of what you experience in Christ. Paul says this, in like even in Romans 10.1. So he considers his Jewish brothers, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. That which he has come to know and that which he's not ashamed about any longer, that he's confident in, that which he once persecuted and now has been transformed to hope in, he is hoping that those around him would come to grasp. Not only do we recognize that it changes the way that we see the world around us, it shapes the way of our own confidence that we have before God. For we know we have guilt. We live with this reality. We know when we sin that there's a sense of shame that we have towards one another when we sin against one another. But we know the guilt that lays on us as we relate to God himself. And when we understand the gospel and the work of Christ, we can confidently hold to things like Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are powerful words which strengthen us as an individual and as a people, recognizing, yes, even though while we have shameful past, 
or even make act shameful as we move in towards Christ in, in shameful ways, that there is no condemnation and God is so faithful to transform us into the image of Christ. So not only it changes our worldview, not only does it change the way that we view ourselves before right and holy God, it also like, it reveals the way that we ought to treat one another, which is what we've been striving to consider over the last several weeks in Romans chapter 12, 13, 14, and even here in 15. Be devoted, Romans 12, 10, to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. It also leads us to worship. Like, when you get the gospel right, it establishes the foundations of your life. Moves us to worship. As Paul comes to stir his mind around it, he even writes in Romans eleven thirty two, For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show the mercy to all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. For unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. The gospel not only shamed, or changed his way that Paul perceives himself, but it also changed the way that he rightly understood who God is. In light of that, he overflows with gratitude. So yeah, I wanted to go through the Romans with you for those reasons. I think it is good as a people to be convinced of what we have in Christ. But all of that too, Paul comes to this point, even in today's passage. And I just want to tip my hand a little bit. I want to look at this passage reflectively. The theology which Paul reveals to us in this section, I have tried over the last several weeks to drum it into our minds. Get along, love one another, be devoted to one another. Jews and Gentiles, the, the, the opinions that will exist in the church are going to be diverse. Some of us are going to be so convinced in our mind. Paul says, consider one another, love one another, bear with one another. And so I want to look at this section reflectively. Paul's done in the sense that his theological treatise is about to conclude. We will look in the coming weeks, the remainder Romans, but he is going to be transitioning from his theological treatise to showing us as the reader what God has set out for him to accomplish. It becomes very personal. There are some real good things to learn and guide ourselves through. But here in chapter 15, 7 through 13, he is summarizing that which he has come to grasp in the gospel for us to consider. So that he writes in Romans 15, 13, these words. Now that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will be bound, will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul believes if you get God right, which the gospel does, it is the power of God put on display for us for salvation, that when you understand God rightly, it transforms you, it establishes you so that you might have hope. And with that, I want to look at that reflectively. Because if we were to go through all the way through the Romans again, in some ways we're going to hope rather quickly. Our world needs hope. Like, this is, this is not a no-brainer. No, we need hope. In the last two years, 16 months, just when we started this letter, what has our world gone through? COVID. Justices. Schools, hybrid learning, at-home learning. We had Ukraine now today. And those are just like social issues. But then we have our own issues in the home that we are often dealing with. Our marriages, children who are walking away from the Lord. Um, 
maybe. Um, we're dealing with some of us, like, is this God where God wants me to stay? Right? What do you hold on to? In the midst of this last two years, I've recognized the world is pulling and trying to hold on to something. What will the church do? What will they hope in? What I'm so thankful about Romans 15, 13 is that Paul gives us the noun. We can talk about hope in the specific sense like, may we have hope. But that's not what the world gives to the world. We know where our hope lies. It lies in the God of hope. Because the noun matters. Because we know who we are. And we know where our lives should be established. It is on the principle of this truth we've come to realize in the gospel. This is why, as we'll read on later in the later weeks, Paul is unashamed to give every ounce of attention to this idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's my hope and prayer that we would as well. Remember with me and reflect with me. Why can Paul write, Now may the God of hope fill you. Romans 1, 16 through 17. Very beginning. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. When we know and are convinced by the gospel, even through suffering, which Paul addresses in Romans chapter 8, eight whether it be the world's suffering or even our personal suffering, we can hold on to something. And the world has nothing to offer us that gives us genuine hope like that which God can give us. But Christians are not naive. We know what we ought to hope for. You get that wrong with God then you, when God doesn't meet your expectations, then the rope comes loose. So the people of God ought to know what they hope in. Be convinced of. His words are so helpful and so joyful in which Paul comes to the conclusion, now may the God of hope fill you with joy. In light of knowing who God is accurately, the response of it, the feeling of it, is joy. Contentment. There's a sense of peace that one ought to have in believing that you will bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't always didn't have that, did we? Like Romans 3.23. When we came into the world, we weren't like those who hoped in God. For all have sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. We actually came into this world rebelling against God. And in spite of us, What's so cool about this gospel that Paul has been so thrilled about, in spite of us, starting at day one with Adam, God promised that he would do something to redeem us. And so when Paul writes in the very beginning in Romans chapter 1, his first four verses, he doesn't hesitate. The gospel did not show up just haphazardly. This has been God's predetermined plan all along. Look with me. Romans 1, verses 2 and 4, in which he writes, He promised, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of descendant of David according to the flesh. Verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, even though while we came into this world sinners, rejecting and not fulfilling the standard of God, God predetermined that he would save us. And the reality is, is what makes the gospel, as a church we must understand, what makes the gospel good news? Because it started all the way back in the very beginning with Genesis. And the gospel is this. God is doing what he said he would do. The good news of the gospel is, is that God is doing exactly 
what he said he would do. Therefore, that is why he is the God of hope. You can take him to the bank, so to speak. You can establish your life on him because the promises which he promised long ago, he said he would do, and he is doing. Abraham. You remember with me with Abraham, Abraham was given a promise, and unlike every every individual before him, he was given a promise which did not look like it could be fulfilled. Childless, had no children of his own. His wife is beyond the age of giving birth. Literally, we remembered in Romans chapter 5, it says that her womb was dead. He was dead, unable to give forth a child. Yet in that season, it was God who wrote, or he, not excuse me, we remember it in the writings. Where are you going? And remember in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, where he writes and promises to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And how do you fulfill this promise? Abraham must thought of as a result of hearing the promise, is God able to do that which he says he will do? Even though I'm old, my wife is old, unable to give birth, is God able to do what he, is able to, what he says he will do? And he writes, as we remember, Paul writes about the faith in which Abraham had. And you're going to see this theme. It seems to be dropped all along the way through the book of Romans. This idea of hope that we have in God. And so in Romans chapter 4, it's in verse 18, you see Abraham's response towards God in hope, against hope, meaning in hope, Abraham, who, which he knew about God, hoped in his promises against hope, meaning against the natural realities that he cannot bear a child nor his wife. And so he comes to this split in the road. What do you trust in? What you see or what you have been promised And in hope, he promised in the one who is faithful to accomplish that which he said he would do. And so in hope, against hope, he believed. So that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. The deadness of Sarah's womb, like he's dead, she's dead, in regards to providing life in a womb. What do you do? When you come to the end of your own rope, like, this is the sense of the gospel. Like, part of me wants just read, wanted today to just read the whole letter of Romans just to you. I can't do that. But the reality is this. Abraham's situation is no different than our own situation. For we are all sinners, rebels against the Lord. And the consequence of our sin is this. Just as sin entered through Adam, death came with sin. And that oppression lays upon all of us. And the reality is, is that every single one of us will experience death. And is God able to promise even the deadness of the womb? We have this category, even in our faith, that God can preserve the womb of a 90-year-old woman and bring life into it. And if God's able to do that in Sarah and Abraham's life, could he possibly do that in our own? When we become dead... Physically, literally, is God able to do that which he has promised to do? In light of this, Abraham contemplates, he hopes against hope. Pick up with me in verse 20. Yet with all respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21. And being fully assured that what God had promised he was able also to perform it. Therefore, it was also credited to him, Abraham, as righteousness. This is the good news. A man is saved not by what he can do. 
A man is saved by whom he trusts in, in which he can do. The gospel is good news, as we have come to realize through the book of Romans, is can we trust in the God of hope whom is able to do that which he said he could do? And Paul, all along the way, is showing us exactly that God is doing what he said he could do. Turn to Romans 15 with me again, and you'll see it. For in verse 8, it's like the bookend of Paul's theological treatise. Romans chapter 1, verse 2, God promised in the prophets that he would do that which he said he would do. In Romans 15, 8, you have the summary, God did it. Romans 15, 8, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcised, circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm that which he promised given to the fathers. And so Abraham was a long, long time ago and his history was patient with God. God faithfully sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the promise that were given to Abraham and David. As a result of this, it has become the opportunity to be salvation for the Jew. The Gentile is promised the same thing. Look at me at verse look with me at verse 9. For the Gentiles also glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And what is Paul doing? In the Old Testament it was promised everywhere. He only picks 3 verses here. He could have labored on much longer than this because and he does it 3 times. He gives one to the Jew. He gives it three to the Gentile. Why? Because it was socially not accepted, right? And so he layers it on in three ways how the Gentile is being the fulfillment of God's promises. And so looking at verse 9, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, for with his people. And again, verse 11, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And let all the peoples praise him. Verse 12. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he also arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. What's the point? Reliance. The majority of us, I would assume, is, I would assume, is that we're Gentile. Maybe a few of us that are Jewish. But the reality is this. You can see it. The promises which God has put before you in that he would save the Gentile has been fulfilled. God is the God of hope because he has done exactly what he said he would do. Not just save the Jew, but also the Gentile. In light of seeing the promises of God being fulfilled, we have a God of hope. And as a result of this, this idea of understanding who God is, in light of understanding who we are, we should have our, our joy increased, our peace lifted up, and find rest in him who is able to do that which he said he would do, so that we will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit who's promised these things to be fulfilled. Like, God is not done, but Paul brings us to this conclusion. You can see it. God has done exactly what he said he would do. And as a result of this, have joy. And this is where I want to kind of step back. It's so often, as the people of God, we don't know what to offer the world. Like, you can offer someone hope, but if you're not offering him the God of hope, we haven't given them hope. Paul didn't write, now may great people of hope. There are many nations with great armies that give their citizens a sense of hope. But armies die. Paul doesn't write, may your father or mother of hope fill you good thing because we know mothers and fathers are oppressed by 
death itself and the hope that they might which provide will come to an end. Now Paul says, if there's anything to hold on to in this world, it's this, the God of hope. And as a result of that, like we know the world needs hope. What are we going to give them? And so often, we leave the noun undefined. Like, I want reliance. And it's not just me. It's the elders as well. To be like Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. What's the power of God? He's able to do that which he's promised he would do. So when Jesus says to disciples in Matthew chapter 28, I will be with you. We've come to only understand, I think, in American terms, when we're prosperous. Life's good. He's with you. No, that's not the only time he's with you. He's with you in your suffering. He's a rock. And not only that, he's a rock that knows what your suffering's like. And he'll be with you to the end of the age. He doesn't desert you. There's only one person in the whole universe that can fill you up with that joy and that peace. Because one day your health will fail you. That's why some of us try to run against it. Because we hope that maybe physically we could have this hope of good health. But we all know that that runs its course. What rope are you holding on to? The noun matters. It could be a father. It could be yourself. It could be your money. All those things run its course. I have thought about Ukraine. I think the world is thinking about Ukraine. But it could, no one thought a year ago that this could happen. Like this thing that we're doing, we couldn't do. We'd be running. And so how quickly the mirage of safety could be taken away. What do you do when everything else falls falls apart? Those Christians who are fleeing and yet have the joy and peace of what has been promised to them, they, they have something to offer the world, and it's the God of hope. And so through going through Romans, that's my reflection. Like This is where Paul wants to bring his church You have something to offer each other and the world around. And he said something last week. And that as a people, we recognize we have the God of hope. And we trust and we encourage one another. But he said something this last week when we were looking at the passage that I would like to just do with you. Just to let us hope. You remember it was in Romans 15.4. He wrote... For whatever was written, he's referring to the scriptures. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. It's for us. Like every generation of Christian has needed hope. Where do you find it? In the scriptures. So that through perseverance and in the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Can we trust the God and his promises? And so when we look at Romans, not just Romans, anywhere within scripture, we should see a God who is fulfilling that which he's promised. And it's not in Romans. So what I want to do, this is the remainder of time that I have, is just, let's increase our hope. Jesus said in John 5, makes a promise. He says this, This is a big promise. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Remember in the book of Romans, all are born in sin, all are born and oppressed by death. The promise was is that God would send one who is able to deliver from the oppression of sin. And Jesus says, that's me. John 5, 25, there's a day, it's now here, 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Why would you and I want to look at John 11? Jesus gives us a promise in John chapter 5, and many of us are super familiar with what happens in John chapter 11. And it's the story of Lazarus. When you read the scriptures, you see God make promises and you see him fulfill the promises that which he set out before us so that now he might become for us the God of hope. And by looking in the scriptures and seeing the fulfillment of his promises, our joy and our peace increase. I've never gone through with you, John chapter 11. I'm not going to say much along the way. I'm going to let the passage of scripture increase our hope. Is God able to do that which he says he can do over your death? Will he be able to resurrect you? Rome, or John chapter 11, verse 1. Let us hope. Now there was a certain man who was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now it was Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment and wept or excuse me, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. You can relate to the scriptures because the world at which this was describing is our world. We still get sick. And these last two years, there's been a lot of people who've gotten sick. Exhausted everything medically to preserve those from death. A world is strived for this. Look at verse 3. So the sisters sent word to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I mean, Mary and Martha had seen Jesus do this a number of times, right? Sick person comes before him, Jesus says, be healed. Right? See the lame man come before Jesus, says, get up and walk. The blind can't see, he says, you can see. And it happens instantly. The tagline on the end is interesting. Mary and Martha have exhausted all resources. They know that Jesus is out proclaiming the gospel. They send word to him, this is, this is a last-ditch effort. Exhausted all resources. So the sisters went and sent word to him, saying, Lord, the guy you love... He's sick. All scripture is given to us so that we might preserve and be encouraged and know the God of hope. That's why we read these things. Look at verse 4. When Jesus heard this, he said, he's talking to his disciples, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Well, how? Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You got it twice said in five verses. The writer's trying to prove a point. Not only did Mary and Martha know that Jesus loves Lazarus. Verse 5, again, you get it pointed down again. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. That's the point. Verse 6. This is the tension within the passage. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Crazy. Yeah, uh, from time to time you'll hear this in the medical field. Like, yeah, you're not doing good. Oh, the closest we can get you in is in three months. That's not hopeful. You may have heard that yourself. What do you do when all the things that we normally hope in don't find to be worthy to hope in? Jesus says, oh, he's sick. Oh, this is for the glory of God. He loves him. He waits two more days. Verse 7. And after this, he said to the disciples, after two days, let us go to Judea. Disciples in verses, I'm not going to be able to spend time, adequate time on it, but in verses 8 
to 10, they don't want to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because it's rough. Jesus, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. So <laughs> you got this conflict. Should we go and see Lazarus? And Jesus dies and he gets healed. What's, what do we do? Jesus said, don't, don't worry about it. Verse 11. This he said, after, and after that he said to them, our friend, this after two days, Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awake him out of his sleep. Initially, the reader would be like, well, that's good news. Verse 12, this is exactly what the disciples said. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Good news. Jesus, you know all things. You knew Martha and Mary. They were just overreacting. Verse 13. Now, Jesus had spoken of his dad, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus promises in John chapter 5 that those who die and hear his voice will respond and live. And so Jesus' perception of those who die and hoping in him merely sleep. That's cool. So he has to spell it out to his disciples. So Jesus then said to them plainly, he's dead. Lazarus is dead. Natural world, that's it. And I don't want to go to your or facilitate your funeral without you knowing where hope is. The God of hope is able to do that which he has promised to do. As a pastor, it is such a delight to bury those who hope in Christ. Why? For what the rest of the story tells us. For what Paul has been laboring on in Romans to teach us. It's the God of hope. Verse 14 again. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead and I am glad. What? For your sake that I was not there. Could have just showed up and healed him. You never know my full potential. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, man, he finally makes it to Lazarus. He's about two miles away. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So it's not only turned into two days, now his journey four days, it's over. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And the first sister is going to come and talk to Jesus. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. Look with verse 20. Martha, therefore, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to him. But Mary stayed at the house. Verse 21. Martha's then said to Jesus, imagine what she's going to say. I saw you heal the lame. I saw you heal the blind. I saw you heal sick person after sick person. She actually talks like this. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You have the power to preserve Lazarus, to heal Lazarus. What I love about the scriptures I have lost loved ones. You have lost loved ones. You will say these words yourself. You will. You will pray for your loved ones. Heal them by the power of God. Save them. Heal their bodies or souls. You will say the words of Martha. What is, why Christ is our God of hope is that he can bear such questions doesn't trouble him. And Jesus said to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. The promise. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's a long ways away. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Is God able to do that which he has promised? And everyone who lives and believes in me, verse 26, will never die. Do you believe this? Our God, our God of hope, is able to answer even our hardest questions. This is why we study Romans. This is why we read on in Scripture to have our hope increase so that we might have joy and peace whatever season we might go through. Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. She's done. She retreats. She goes, tells, Mary goes, tells Martha, Jesus is here. For the sake of time, let me jump to verse 32. Mary's got the same question. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping. Like she says the same exact questions, Martha. Like you can heal. And I had a, I had a boss that lost his, his son. And I remember just praying. And, and since then, with even other loved ones, you could have healed them. You could have showed up. Like, there's a reason why Christians read their Bibles. Death's not the end. Because we have a God of hope who promises, who has promised to us the grave is not the last day. This is what makes the gospel good news. And I'm not ashamed of it, Paul would say. This is what the world needs to know. Right? Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And you see the response of Christ. He weeps. Jesus wept. When the Jews saw Jesus weeping over a man whom he loved, what did the Jews say? Verse 36. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? Third time. Like, John is doing something, Paul is doing something, Peter's doing something, James is doing something. They write the scriptures so that you might have your love of God increase. For God so loved the world. It's not just Lazarus he came for. He came for each and every single one of you. He wants to be your God of hope. These things were written so that you might believe and that by believing your joy and peace would increase no matter what you face. Verse 37. Look what they say. They know what Jesus can do. Some of them said, could not this man, it's critical, who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? They saw it themselves. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave. And the stone was lying against it. I'm just going to read. Let your hope increase. Is God able to do that which he says he can do? Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God, a promise. So they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it. They need to know that there's a God in whom they can hope in. So that they might believe that you sent me. Verse 43. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. This is the moment, which is the reader we remember. Yeah, our God can do exactly that which he says he can do. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his faith Face was wrapped around with cloth, and Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. One day Christ will return. This is the promise. That which was put on display in Lazarus, which Jesus predicted for himself literally and plainly. He told the disciples, I have come to atone for your sins. You have been sinners. You have rebelled against God. You have not lived according to his standard and glory. But God has demonstrated his love towards you. And that while you are sinners, he sent me. He's going to bear our guilt and our shame. That those who hope and believe in him will one day receive the promise of his resurrection. That's what we've been looking at in Romans 15. And Paul says, if you struggle in your faith even now, look at the Jew who has had their promises confirmed. He came from Abraham. He came from David. He has fulfilled the prophets and Gentiles. Just look at yourself. For you were once far from God, distant, unable to know him. And yet God has so drawn you to him, now you worship. God has been faithful to fulfill his promises. He has done exactly what he said he will do. And so when you die, rest in the God of hope. Because he will one day show up your grave and say the exact same thing to Lazarus. But he's waited. Has he not? And he promised he would wait. For he said that the gospel, the great news, must go forth throughout the whole world before he returns. Because it's that good of a news. There is something our world needs. Not just hope. They need the God of hope. Which has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Point three. Thank you. Our convictional response. My question for you is this. As we come to the end of Paul's theological treatise. As we consider for ourselves in the scriptures, hopefully hoping, increasing our hope. Do you hope in the God of hope? That's, that is the simple question I have for you. Do you trust in Christ Jesus as your Savior? You can come to church and you could never respond to that reality. And the reality is, is that the offer that which Christ is putting before you is only received by faith. Abraham responded this way. This challenge for us today is as well, only by faith. Verse 16 of chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew and to the Gentile. For it is the righteousness of God, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, those who hope in the God, they are credited with righteousness, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Do you hope in the God of hope? That's the first question. Reliance, the second question is this. What are we going to do with it? Paul here in the next coming weeks is going to labor on making sure every single person he comes in contact will hear it. Our world needs hope. The people in your workplace, in your own families, need this God of hope. And as a people, we should be so confident, not rude. Christians can be rude, right? Hopeful that God can save and preserve and restore and transform through Christ Jesus. And so often we are concerned and 
do that which Christ feared by taking the light of the gospel and covering it up. We're a city on a hill. We have the hope which the world needs, which is the God of hope. And he has given that to his church to be the ambassador, the proclamation of that hope to the world. I don't know where you're at, convictionally. One, if you don't know Jesus Christ, he stands there wanting you to hope in him. But what you have to acknowledge is that you're a sinner, that you have rejected him. As a result of that, you ought to respond to him in faith and make him Lord of your life. Reliance, for those of us who have responded in Christ, what are we going to do with it? And I would encourage you to reread through Romans 1 through 15 again, where you'll remember that it teaches us how to perceive the world around us. It teaches us how to understand our own relationship with God. It teaches us how we ought to treat one another. It leads us to worship. And ultimately, it gives us hope, even in the seasons of where life gets hard. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray the same confidence and the same focus of which Paul had. And it's not just Paul. Historically, Christians throughout time have labored to seek after their neighbors, their children, their wives, their spouses, their husbands, cousins, to express the same love of which they experienced in Christ to one another. Lord, are there anyone in this room who has not responded to the God of hope? I pray that they would know that God has promised them a promise and is able to fulfill it and that they would respond in faith. For those of us who have responded in faith, Lord, Lord, let us be faithful to grow in it and to share it with the world around us. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful as we continue as a church, even as we close out this last song. There's nothing else we can build our lives upon which lasts outside of you. You are only that which is eternal and is able to perform that which he has promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and pray.